0: Hello again and thanks for tuning in to this very spooky Halloween episode of the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast. Today I'm celebrating this, the most beautiful time of the year, Halloween, Samhain, All Hallows Eve, with some occult detectives, spooky sketchy herbs and magic rocks, and a good old-fashioned seance. Happy Halloween, friends! Are you excited? I'm pretty excited. I'm having a little trouble getting into the Halloween spirit, but it's really starting to kick in now. This is my most favorite holiday of the whole year. It's a time of magic and mystery and monsters, and it's a time when anyone can be whomever or whatever they want and embrace that identity for one incredible night. Plus candy. So much candy. I love those disgusting molasses Halloween kisses. I always told my mom I would never love them. And then, of course, I became an adult and I do. Adults like gross things. (laughs) So last year for Halloween, in the very fat feminist Halloween special part one, or volume one, uh, I talked about some of the witchy myths and pop culture legends that contribute to the overall image of the Halloween witch. Stuff like black hats and eye of newt and flying broomsticks. And this year, I thought it would be fun to look at another type of magic that's contributed to the modern witch or magical practitioner image. And that is mediums and spiritualists. So not every spooky woman throughout history donned the black cat and lived in a cottage in the woods. Some were highly educated American and European aristocrats who conducted seances in their like extravagant salons for the likes of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and even Abraham Lincoln. These days it's pretty common for those who practice witchcraft to also be psychics and mediums who can communicate with the dead, and vice versa, but that wasn't always the case. So in Victorian times, this religion and this practice of spiritualism (laughs) and its younger and a little bit more open minded cousin spiritism became very, very popular with those who some who were just interested in kind of spooky stuff and um, interested in something a little bit more rebellious. And also for some people who were starting to crave a mixture of science and religion. So this is kind of the... Precursor to the metaphysical type aspect that we have now. So, spiritualism emphasized the belief in ghosts and spirits and that it was possible to communicate with the spirits in the afterlife. Spiritualists believed, like a lot of modern New Age practitioners, that the spirit world is all around us and that some spirits and ghosts become spirit guides and can offer wisdom from beyond the grave. So, in their mind, spirits continued to grow and evolve as, I don't know, as souls or as people, I guess, in the afterlife. They stayed ghosts and they became ascended masters and stuff from there. Years later, spiritism, which was kind of an offshoot, they included the belief in reincarnation. And that's the version that is a little bit more popular um, today. So lots of spiritualists, as well as mediums and psychics, were women, of course, who still didn't quite fit the image that society had drawn up for them to live by around the time. A lot of them supported the abolition of slavery and women's suffrage. Um, A lot of them were the kind of ladies who remained unmarried or even were promiscuous through their lifetime. So there was, you know, there was quite a few who were celibate and covered themselves in, you know, crazy black robes and lots of rings and things. And others who were a little bit more... um, A little bit more like (laughs) madams, but with psychic abilities. And of course, a lot of these women were vilified, accused of fraud. And then official organizations kind of started to pop up, official spiritualism organizations. A lot of a lot of them, of course, were funded and started by men. (laughs) (coughs) Gerald Gardner. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. Tis the season, right? Um, But not all of them, of course. There were a few that were led by women, of course. So, during the age of spiritualism (laughs) and Victorian era, this is when you began to see these seances that were put on as sort of a public performance. Now, I'm sure some of them were totally real, but not all of them were. (laughs) Of course, there's always fakes and frauds. Every generation of magical cultures has their own Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo's my Miss Cleo, of course. (laughs) So... That's when you began to see these great seances where they had lots and lots of spectacle involved, where they were trying to make paranormal phenomena appear in front of us to prove it to other people so that other people could see it, to believe it. Some spiritualists eventually moved past the kind of extravagant showmanship of it and focused more on theory, and those are the ones who kind of throughout time evolved into the New Agers, of course. But many, of course, were really just in it to the spectacle. Many of them were frauds and snake oil salesmen. They were just looking to make money and get famous and rich. Um, And of course, those people all had very real detractors, some of whom were just assholes, and some of whom were really searching for the truth. Harry Houdini was actually one of the most famous people to accuse mediums and psychics of being fraudulent. and Harry Houdini, in his his quest to prove these, fraud- these fraudulent psychics and mediums for what they were, is really the, you know, other magicians started to follow suit. Penn and Teller are a modern uh, magician duo who do the same thing now. Although again, they're kind of mean about it. <laughs> what I liked about Harry Houdini is that he did this because he was a true believer Uh, after the death of his beloved mother he had a really really close relationship Uh, he sought to communicate with her after death through popular mediums and spiritualists and because he was trained in stage magic and illusion and and tricking people he was able to catch things that the average person couldn't that proved that these people were fraudulent he caught all of their tricks (laughs) he could see every time they were you know sneaking away to look at something they shouldn't have or putting something in their pocket or what have you So from that point on, he made it his mission to expose these frauds. And he actually he made quite a career of it after his magic career. Of course, he became almost just as famous for that but was still hopeful from that point that communication between the dead and the living was possible. He went to his grave believing that it was possible. Him and his wife Bess actually created a secret code that he would use to prove it was him when he communicated with her from beyond the grave. And for 10 years, she actually held yearly seances with friends and reporters and other reputable people in all sorts of locations. And after 10 years of searching, uh she finally blew out the candle that had been burning next to his photograph since the day he died. And Bess is reputed to have said, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man. And I respect that. <laughs> I like to think Harry Houdini respected that as well. It's time to move on. But, uh, but how cool is that? You know, I think that is one of the most wonderful examples of how to be a really great skeptic. This is a model that I I kind of try to follow. I keep an open mind while I also realize that not everything you see is real and that it's okay to ask questions and that it's okay to say, no, I don't believe that that can't be real and to find some other way to do it and to keep looking and to keep an open mind. So I really like that, that little bit about Harry Houdini during the age of spiritualism. He was actually such a detractor because of this, this mission he was on that He ruined a very good friendship with his friend, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, who was very, very much into spiritualism. And I'm going to talk about him just a little bit more later. So this image of the seance um, shifted in my lifetime from this dimly lit, elegant salon full of fainting women in corsets to teenagers at sleepovers with mass produced cardboard slabs calling for ghosts to visit. (laughs) Ah, so much fun. So, spiritualism and the idea that ghosts have something to offer and to teach us the living is an idea that we just, as a people, can't shake. It's something that we're always interested in, both for spiritual learning and for entertainment. Because there's something about the idea that we could exist beyond that, you know, what's supposed to be that final end, this idea of a certain immortality that is just so so interesting to human beings, and of course it's the kind of interest that can drive people mad, and that makes it only the more uh, exciting. Especially around Halloween, when this veil between these two worlds, ours and the world of the dead, is said to be thin and the spirits are permitted a visit home. So (laughs) I mentioned the the spirit board a little bit ago. Uh, Let's be clear, first of all, before I keep going, that spirit boards or Ouija boards it's a board game, you guys. It's a board game. <laughs> it's okay. You do not need to be afraid of them. You don't need to burn it. You don't need to keep it under lock and key. Your Ouija board made by, you know, whoever made this, the Parker Brothers. It's not going to open some sort of weird mystical portal in your home. It's not going to do that stuff. First of all, it's just a thing. It's just cardboard. It doesn't have any magic on its own. It's It's the energy that you put into it. They work a lot like tarot cards or pendulums. And actually, you can even use your pendulum with your board without the planchette. And, you know, just use it like you would a printout of letters with a pendulum. But it's it's just an item. Some people believe that through tarot cards or pendulums, they are communicating with other beings or spirit guides or a higher power. But some people don't believe that. You might not think that that's true. A lot of people in just the same amounts, I believe, um, think that when you're using tarot cards or pendulums, you're kind of tapping into your own innate intuition and power and maybe some psychic energy that you can, you know, pull from future times and things like that. There's a little bit more of a scientific approach. So whichever way you believe that other divinatory tools work, that's the same way the Ouija board works. Uh, In that way, your tarot cards aren't doing magic when you're not holding them. (laughs) They're not bringing anything out. They're not saying anything to you. So don't freak out about your Ouija board. Uh, If it makes you feel a little bit weird, I have a Ouija board right here, right next to me. In my home, that some douchey paranormal investigator dude retrieved from a supposedly haunted house. And I love it. I opened up the box today and this huge smile came across my face. This one is was made in the 1980s in Canada. It's super cheap. Like, it's still in the box uh, for those Canadian people my age. It's the black one with the red letters. Yeah, you know the one. So it's just... It makes me really happy and it feels nostalgic. I bring it out on Halloween. I don't necessarily use it because I'm not really that much of a ghost talker or I haven't been. I think this year I might actually try it. I've just been considering it. Maybe by the end of tomorrow, I will have talked myself out of it because I still think ghosts are creepy, but I'm not afraid of the Ouija board. So if my haunted Ouija board with the energy of douchey dude's trunk isn't doing anything bad to me, I don't think your Ouija board that you bought straight from the store is bad either though I will say I was in my favorite antique store (laughs) recently it's called Holland's curiosity and collectibles and it's huge it's multi floors and they had this section with all these used Ouija boards and they all included this really great like handmade sign warning you used Ouija board. I can't vouch for anything that happens when this Ouija board leaves the store. I thought that was pretty funny. And I really appreciated it because I think it just made the whole thing really fun. So don't be afraid of your Ouija board. (laughs) Don't be afraid or nervous or scared at all, especially if you're someone who already uses divinatory tools. There's nothing uh, different about that. So if you're not familiar with psychic or paranormal phenomena, a seance is just a gathering of people who've come together to reach out to ghosts or spirits on the other side. This is usually either facilitated by someone in the know, like a medium or a psychic, or it's a bunch of people using a Ouija board or a pendulum or other divination tools like that. Mediumship is a particular type of psychic ability that allows a person to... Uh, to actually communicate with spirits or ghosts who are not only walking the earth among us, but who have reached other areas of the afterlife. And this was explained to me by by a medium that I met, (laughs) by the way. So the other forms of psychic gifts allow people to uh, see, smell, feel, or hear spirits and ghosts who are earthbound. Uh, you know who are who are literally on the earth who you know maybe got left behind, who didn't pass on didn't go into the light, whatever it is some are here back on earth to keep watch over or guide the living like they have some sort of um job here again it's it's a lot of various reasons, so that's kind of the difference between mediumship and other psychic abilities um for example, I have clear cognizant psychic abilities they're i don't know how strong they are <laughs> I need a little bit more um I need like a psychic mentor, as I joked about recently. I don't see ghosts and I don't hear ghosts and I don't communicate with ghosts directly or spirits or angels or anything like that. But I often know when a presence is around me. I know when there are spirits around. Uh, For example, there's a new ghost in my house recently and I don't know who it is, but I have real Halloween vibes about it. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like there's someone that's just stopping by. Um, But I, I don't, I just know it's just a feeling in my gut. Other people can see ghosts, um, and a medium, on the other hand, can see spirits who have already passed through that ghost phase, they're not hanging around the earth, and have moved on to other things. So I actually went to a seance one time led by a medium, my favorite medium, her name is Allison, you can actually look her up online by looking up altruistic apothecary, I'll put her link in the description and on the blog and some things like that. And I I went to a seance hosted by her. It was in the basement of a metaphysical store that I was working at. And there were, I don't know, 10 to 15, I think, people there. It was a really, really cool experience. She contacted someone on the other side for everybody in the group. (laughs) For me, she she clarified a lot of things that I already believed about my grandmother. Like I said, I, I kind of just know when there's ghosts nearby. And I had a feeling for quite some time that my grandmother or my noni was hanging around me a little bit but I didn't I didn't know for sure it was just kind of a feeling I had and when I I went to the seance with Allison she (laughs) she definitely clarified that yes Noni was hanging around and she picked up on some other little things some signs that you know I had been kind of picking up or that I had noticed for a little while I had noticed that I was finding like coins like change everywhere and who has change anymore like I I almost never have change, I like to keep all my money on a debit card so that I have like a digital list of all the money I spent because I'm not good with money. Highly recommend that by the way. So I rarely even have change, but somehow there's change all over my apartment. You know, I found it in corners and on floors and I find it on the stairs and I find it in my shoes and I find it in my pockets. And you know, I find it in places it couldn't possibly be. I just find it all the time, <laughs> especially when I'm cleaning, because I guess that's when I'm looking, looking on the floor. <laughs> um, and Allison was like, do you Find like cat like change everywhere all the time. Do you think it's kind of weird? And I'm like, yeah, I've been thinking that's kind of weird. And apparently, this was something that my noni was doing. She was she was leaving little coins everywhere and just helping me out because who has money, right? And that really made me laugh because that's kind of something noni would do. We're Italian, and that's you don't talk about money, but you give money to your family if they need it. It's pretty great. Um, That's just one of the cute stories. I also had some kind of serious emotional experiences there but what was most interesting about the seance is that everyone there had a different experience um one friend of mine who was there she was sitting on the other side of the circle so she wasn't anywhere near me but she was having such a strong 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 emotional reaction And she was actually seeing a lot of these people, a lot of things. She was having a really serious, psychic, clairvoyant experience. um, And she had no idea that she had any sort of clairvoyant or mediumship abilities. And afterwards, the medium was like, wow, something crazy just happened with you. And she has since, you know, had to work on that. (laughs) Because that is something that came out from that point on. And that was really, really interesting. Other people in the group were reunited with people who had passed on a really long time ago, uh, for some people it was children or grandparents, and it was really, really an amazing and emotional experience. It was really emotional, but it was also really interesting and really fun. It still had a very seancey vibe. It was still a dark room. We were sitting in a circle and she had a really nice table in the middle that had um, crystals, for every, for all sorts of emotional issues that could come up. And for protection, she had candles going. Um, it was very mystical and very magical, but it was all very legit, <laughs> which is very cool. So that is, that is my seance experience. It's a really fun, um, exciting experience. And it's not quite so different from, <laughs> minus the you know, the fake table tipping and stuff, it's not quite so different from that kind of elegant Victorian vibe that so many people think of when they hear a seance. Now a seance led by an experienced medium is no doubt your best bet to having a really enlightening and not to mention spiritually safe experience. But it's not necessary, especially around Halloween. As I said, the veil between the two worlds is thin and ghosts are more likely to be moving through your area. So I talked to a few of my friends with mediumship or really cool psychic abilities that allow them to communicate with ghosts, and they helped me come up with a few tips to having your own seance or reaching out to your own spirit guides or ancestors for Halloween. So tip number one, take it seriously, but not too seriously. Like I said, you don't have to burn your beloved Ouija board after you use it or anything like that, but also don't make fun of the process. Spirits and ghosts are beings, or even people just like you, and they deserve to be treated with respect. Treat the process with respect or reverence, but don't be afraid to smile either, or crack a joke. If your great uncle Irving was the practical jokester in your family and kept a rubber chicken in his pocket, he's no doubt going to be the same in death. Have a little fun and don't be surprised if a ghost plays a trick on you because, I mean, this is their night off too. (laughs) So tip number two, be wary of who you invite to your seance. And I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm honestly a little bit more nervous about the kind of energy some other people project than I am about ghosts. Keep your group relatively small, especially if, especially if you have little to no experience. And if anyone gives you bad vibes, you calmly just you gotta ask them to go. Uh, you don't need someone trying to get a hold of the ghost of Jack the Ripper, <laughs> right along with someone else's, you know, adorable Aunt Mabel. So be very, <sighs> be very selective of who you invite. Tip number three treat it like magic. It is magic. I don't care what you call it, paranormal science is the science of magical and unexplainable things. Ghosts are magic. (laughs) So do the same things you would do when you perform magical rituals. Light your candles, cast protection, uh, maybe grab appropriate crystals, burn herbs and incense, wear your protective talismans. You know, whatever, align your chakras and ground, do yoga, say prayers, meditate. This is just like any other psychic exercise and you need to be able to connect spiritually. So, you know, (laughs) don't just chug like the last of the orange pop and, and just, you know, let out a belch and get to it. Get yourself in the right state. And if you're with a group, you can even have a little bit of fun with that and lead a group prayer or meditation or something like that. You really need to be in the right state of mind to be open to this kind of experience. Tip number four, encourage others in the group with you to share their experiences and feel what they're feeling. Just be prepared, man. (laughs) You're going to need some tissues. If the seance you are in ends up anything like the one I was in, someone is going to cry. Just let it have them happen. Let them get their feelings out and encourage anyone else who experiences something in that moment to share it. You might fi- find out you have someone in the group with hidden mediumship abilities like I did, or discover a long buried past life, or get some real emotional closure after the death of the loved one. Not only does this you know, make everyone else feel like they're included in this experience. It makes it more of a, a group activity, but it can also allow the people in the group to, uh, to help heal some of these things, you know, finding other people who relate or who feel the same way or who ha- are having, maybe are having the same uh, experience and it's not something they normally would have talked about. That's a really healing and amazing experience. So just encourage other people to be excited about the process and to get into it and to not feel embarrassed just let them feel their feels (laughs) so tip number five sweeten the deal take a cue from day of the dead traditions and offer a reason for your spirits to visit you or a way to find you pour out some libations for your guests put out some sweet food or bread burn copal incense or rosemary incense to guide them to the area and to honor them If you're reaching out to someone specific, put out their favorite treat, play their favorite song, and put out uh, their favorite item from life, like their, their wedding ring or their favorite piece of jewelry. Afterwards, you can put whatever's left on your altar if you have one, or put it outside for nature to grab it. If you're near a crossroads, depositing it there would be extra perfect. This is really like, kind of an etiquette issue. You really want to be a good hostess to your spiritual guests. They are your guests. I honestly believe that etiquette is important whether you're living or dead. So just be friendly to your ghosts and put out something for them to snack on or to be nourished from. It will help keep negative entities and spirits away and it'll help attract your positive spirits. Copal incense is usually burned on uh, altars during the Day of the Dead celebrations in Mexico and rosemary is for honoring and remembering the dead. Tip number six. This is one of my favorites. Don't read some ridiculously archaic Latin incantation from a mysterious and dusty tome. I hope you've all seen Beetlejuice. (laughs) So first of all, working with spells and incantations that are in languages that you don't speak is just bad news. You have no idea what you're saying or any of the original intent that went into creating that spell or those words. Say something from the heart. Again, they're people. Stick to something simple, something personal, and something that you can really feel and really project. A little bit of ceremony, like filling the rooms with candles, is cool, but don't turn it into some sort of weird performance for the sake of spookiness. It just won't work. (laughs) And it could come off as kind of a joke, which is just really uncool. It's just really uncool, man. So our last tip is again, just good manners, remember to say goodbye. So I want to be clear, (laughs) you're not opening some creepy portal in your house that you can never get closed if you have a seance or use a Ouija board. But if you are not a person who regularly maintains contact with the dead when you're in life, it's a good idea to make that very, very clear. If you talk to mediums or those who, who speak to spirits, they all have their own ways to set Spiritual boundaries to keep them separated and get some privacy from the ghosts in their waking life. They all have to set those boundaries with the dead if that's something, if that's someone they communicate with. So be really grateful at the end of your seance and thank any spirits or ghosts for their time and politely ask them to leave and to respect your boundaries. If you really enjoyed your experience and maybe you want to make uh, having a seance kind of a regular experience, you can even say that. You can say that you'd like to communicate them in the future, but you'll initiate it. Hopefully this will keep anyone from getting attached to you or thinking that you're someone that they can come to for help or friendship on a regular basis. I tend to think being a ghost is probably a bit lonely sometimes and that lots of them are kind of on the hunt for an open-minded person who they can just talk to, you know. I really do think that. So you want to make it clear that that is not something that you can do all the time. If you're looking for a specific spell or method for spirit communication, like if you just want to get started and you don't have a Ouija board or you're not ready for that and you don't do pendulums... There is a black and white skull spirit communication spell by Jackie Smith and Coventry Magic, which I've reviewed before on the blog. It's on page 92. It's a really, really great spell. It's really simple. It involves using a black and white skull candle, some herbs that are common in work with the dead, and really just an open mind. And it's pretty easy for beginners. So I'll post a link from that to that. And if you have the book, open it up to 92 and look it up. (laughs) It's very great. So those are some tips if you're going to be having uh, your own seance. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Fat Feminist Witch, and I will let you get back to it in just a second. But if you like the show and you want to support what I do, consider heading to patreon.com slash thefatfeministwitch and signing up for my private group, The Witch and Bitch. We have a monthly book club, featured sketchy herbs and magic rocks that are different every month, and we celebrate Sabbaths and moons together. So it's just a really great place to connect and share with other like-minded witches. It's only $10 to sign up and get admitted to the private group. Or if you're willing to give a little bit more, you can get really great stuff in the mail like the book we're reading or your own sketchy herb and magic rocks and spells and rituals that I write every month just for you guys that you can do with your fun new gifts. Of course, you can also support the show by liking the page on Facebook, following me on Twitter and Instagram, uh, interacting with me on all of those. I'm especially very active on Twitter and I love having conversations with other witches on there. And of course, giving the show really good reviews on iTunes and on Facebook no matter how big or small your contribution. I just want to thank you so much for listening and for supporting me and the Fat Feminist Witch. You have no idea how much it means to me. Okay, I will let you get back to this episode of the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast. Thanks, everybody. So carrying on with our theme of spirit communication and seances, I have a new sketchy herb and magic rock for you guys. So every month in my private group, The Witch and Bitch, I choose a magic herb and a crystal to feature and work with for the month. And for October, I chose mullen as our herb and malachite. I had so much fun researching them and creating a spell for the group that I, I decided to share them with you guys on this Halloween podcast. They're perfect for Halloween. Last Halloween, I spoke about Eye of Newt and Emerald, which were two herbs, or an herb and a stone that are so ingrained into the overall image of the Halloween witch, thanks to Macbeth and the Wizard of Oz. Mullen and Malachite are like that for the dead and for that journey between the veil, between the two worlds. So I picked them both for Halloween, though I will admit that Malachite I chose because of its green, swirly kind of. Cauldrony look, so, <laughs> so if you're wondering how I picked that, because not so many people think of working with the dead as the first quality of a malachite, but that's how it happened. So I I chose it because it's spooky green and looks like a witch's cauldron, and it's slightly toxic. It can be a little bit poisonous. So if you get a raw piece of malachite, don't have it on your skin for long periods of time. Don't get it wet, all that kind of stuff. That all made it seem a little bit spookier to me. I knew that Malachite was a pretty powerful spiritual ally and that it was very popular with people who do energy work, but I'll be honest, I kind of knew very little else about it. I was pretty excited to learn that Malachite Malachite has long been associated with life and death and the whole cycle of death and rebirth. So in ancient Egypt, Malachite is mentioned in the Egyptian Book of the Dead like multiple times when it talks about a place of eternal peace for the righteous, the field of Malachite, almost like a version of uh, the Elysian Fields in in Greek mythology. So Malachite was sacred to the goddess Hathor, as most green stones are, who is associated with both life and rebirth and the cycle of death. So elsewhere in the Book of the Dead, the deceased is described after after they, they pass their tests to get into the afterlife. They are turned into a falcon with wings of green stone, and in the pyramid text, Horus is described as the lord of the green stone. It's something that they used all the time. It was even ground up and used as makeup and cosmetics, and Hathor was very much associated with with cosmetics and makeup and beauty, though in less of a vanity ideal and more of a strong female warrior kind of vibe. Also, during the mummification process, a lot of the organs were removed and discarded, stuff like the brain, which was, you know, considered useless in the afterlife, but that heart was left in the body, and that was what got weighed when they're crossing over into the other side. The heart was left in the body, and a green heart scarab was placed over it to offer uh, magical protection. So, if you see those Malachite hearts, um, this is a very heart protection-based stone, just like in ancient Egypt. So aside from its connection with death, uh, Malachite strengthens your connection with other worlds, strengthens your own energy being projected. So that can be kind of an issue in your waking life. You can come off as kind of an asshole, or maybe those things you thinking are getting out instead of the things you're saying. Watch out for that. But it can also help clarify and amplify your messages and your intentions when you are trying to communicate with spirits and ghosts. This makes it a powerful tool for meditation and metaphysical transformation. So Malachite aligns and clears all of your chakras. It's a big chakra stone. Uh, Even those ones outside of your standard chakra system. So stuff above your head and down into the earth. In this capacity, malachite not only connects you to other worlds and other planes, but it anchors you right here to, to Earth and connects you to yourself. Now, mullen I chose specifically because mullen's number one use is for communicating with the dead. Mullen is one of my absolute favorite herbs. I use it on a weekly basis in tons of different magical ways, even though I don't speak to the dead all the time. Mullen is mostly used as a base in my incense blends, about half my incense blends. So mullen is soft and fluffy and has very little of its own odor. And it, so it's a perfect base for incense blends that are related to death, psychic powers, dreams, and nighttime. Lots of psychic powers and, and dream spells that I do use mullen. The reason it was the herb of the month for Halloween is because Mullen is one of the witch's best friend if she's looking to speak with the dead. It facilitates spirit communication while offering protection against negative entities and ghosts. Uh, Sarah Ann Lawless on her blog wrote a really, really great description of Mullen, and I linked to it on my blog. <laughs> you can find it in her Weeds for Witches She says it belongs to the crossroads, to Saturn and to the underworld. It is Hecate's torch and Lucifer's staff. It is a key and a door. And that it is a key and a door part is really the key to Mullen. Mullen not only helps facilitate this communication with the dead, but also protects you from negative spirits and entities. It is protection and it also helps facilitate that journey in general. It's great for not just speaking with spirits or ghosts, but anything related to crossing between other worlds and other planes. So if you're using it for, let's say, astral travel, you can use it for astral travel. I use it a lot for stuffing dream pillows, um, mojo bags. Like I said, incense, you can use it as candle dressing for everything from psychic journey Working with your Akashic Records, that's a really great one. Past lives. It's amazing. Like I said, I use mullen all the time. The way I got introduced to mullen actually was because a friend was starting to make her own herbal cigarettes to stop smoking regular cigarettes with tobacco. And she found out that mullen is a very, very common ingredient in herbal smoking blends. Again, it's used as the base. Isn't that really cool? So It's a great base in herbal cigarettes for all the reasons I mentioned before. Now, when you're making herbal cigarettes, you pick things that taste good and offer good physical effects. You can also use smoking blends for magical purposes. So I created this smoking blend to work with the group in this month for spirit communication. The cool thing about this is that much like an incense, you're, you know, filling that area with that smoke and getting it all around you, but it's also really getting inside. So my blend had mullein as a base and then included Damiana for some of its physically calming effects that helps with meditation and psychic work and lavender for flavor and lots of mugwort from my own garden. And I rolled it up in papers that I wrote on (laughs) with edible markers. I wrote sigils on them for protection. And that is my Spirit Speak blend. It's very, very simple. It's a simple blend. But you can put tons of really cool stuff into a smoking blend that are use that are useful in non-magical ways, but also have lots of really great magical effects that will help you with psychic work or spirit communication. So things like the mugwort and the lavender, uh, catnip, cloves, or blue lotus, which again is popular in smoking blends. These can all deepen your focus, open your third eye, and make you a little bit more able to receive messages from the spirit realm or from other planes of existence. Now, of course, if you smoke tobacco or cannabis already, you can add either one of these to your to your blend. Absolutely. Cannabis, as I mentioned in another episode before, functions sort of like an herbal quartz crystal. It's the ultimate amplifier of energy and of magic. So it really just strengthens that connection a little bit more. Tobacco, on the other hand, has long been used as a sacred herb for, and a lot of times as an honorific to the dead. So tobacco is a common um, thing to leave on altars or grave sites to the dead, especially if they smoked in life. So you can add both of those to your smoking blend and it will only amplify the magic and it might make it more enjoyable for you. So I, I did cover... Uh, Malachite and Mullen as the sketchy herbs and magic rocks having on the blog. You can find it at the fatfeministwitch.wordpress.com. If you work with either of these on a regular basis, I would love to hear about any of your experiences, especially Mullen, because it's one of my favorites. And it seems like a lot of people don't talk about it. <laughs> I almost never hear about it. In fact, Sarah Ann Lawless is one of the few bloggers I've noticed that mentions it on a fairly regular basis and I think that's just because uh, Mullen is a witching herb of those dark days gone by you know when magic was done in the dark of the night or the light of a torch you know deep in the woods and that's that's the kind of witch she is she's really cool so you can go to patreon.com slash the fat feminist witch and check out the group. And if you like it, maybe join us for future months. I will give you access to some of the stuff we did in to the stuff we did in the past. So if you joined the sketchy herbs and magic rocks program, I'm more than happy to send you all of the information from this month if you're interested. Unlike many modern witches, I don't really celebrate Halloween as a very spiritual holiday. I mean, I get really interested in really cool, spooky, spiritual topics around Halloween. But I like that because it's fun and because it's entertaining. I'm really into the fun version of Halloween. I love to hand out candy to trick-or-treaters, and I love to wear costumes, and I love to hang little ghosties and carve pumpkins, and I love to read spooky stories. I already especially love really old spooky stories, stuff like Edgar Allan Poe which actually I started reading as a kid because of The Simpsons. So thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. I love old spooky stories. So when I was looking through the Wiser catalog, and I saw the Wiser book of occult detectives, I was instantly super excited. But I thought, oh, I don't really think that fits on the blog. You know, I, I really try to pick stuff that's kind of educational for the modern witch. But then I realized, of course, uh, it's my blog. (laughs) It's my podcast, and I can do whatever I want. So here we are, and I am absolutely geeked about it. I'm going to review the Wiser Book of Occult Detectives, edited by the wonderful Miss Judica Isles. So... I'll admit that reading nonfiction and self-help type books can get a bit intense sometimes, and there's nothing like good fiction to kind of cleanse the literary palate. And this is full of good fiction. The Wiser Book of Occult Detectives features 13 short stories about supernatural sleuthing. I'm very excited. As someone who loves The X-Files, seeing X-Files in all of the descriptions of this book really convinced me that I would love it. So after reading the stories in the book, Uh, I realized how terrifying some of them were. I had a couple of nightmares, undeniably creepy. And Halloween coming made this my new like favorite book. I'm so obsessed with it. I've already wrecked it a little bit because I keep shoving it in my purse and bringing it everywhere with me. So even though the book isn't written by Judica Isles, her forward in the book and her intro to every single story are just absolutely full of wit and incredible attention to detail. She has a really great talent for finding and writing some of the most interesting witch books I've ever read, like some of the most interesting witch facts. Her element encyclopedia of 5,000 spells, the huge one, I mean, it was full of stuff I'm never going to use, but I couldn't put it down. It was so interesting. Some of it was so, had so much historical basis. Some of it seemed too wacky to be real. It was just really cool. And this book is kind of the same way. She features... Really interesting history and facts before every story that were that are interesting to people who practice magic or who are already interested in the cult. Uh, Since most of the stories, actually all of the stories, were written way before even my parents were born, (laughs) before my grandparents were born, her intro also helped me get into the right frame of mind to absorb it. So all the stories featured in here were written between 1855 and 1922. So. They really capture that Victorian flair of the group seances and the dark alleys where evil men lurk and the incredible power of the human mind. Lots of really interesting detectives in here. So even if you're fan- not a fan of some of this older Victorian fiction, the stories in the book are really, really captivating. They're brilliant and they're so, so creepy. They're really easy to read and they none of them really feature too much... Um, too much old slang that makes them kind of difficult for some people who are still grasping English or aren't great readers. So honestly, give it a try, even if you're not a big reader. Some of the stories in here are going to make you laugh because they're a little bit old school and cheesy. Some are going to make you gasp. One of them made me gag a little because it was so super gross. So much fun. I really loved it. One of them really, really creeped me out. And I'm actually going to read a small excerpt of that one that really creeped me out at the end of the podcast. So if you are one to pull out your favorite collection of Edgar Allan Poe every October, this is a book you're really going to love. As a bonus, the authors featured are both men and women, and as such a lot of the characters, and it's said throughout the book that this was done on purpose, and I thought that was really, really amazing. So each story is introduced by Judica with facts about the occult and the spiritual proclivities of the authors, and it weaves together a history of occultism and spiritualism during this time. So witches and psychics will be thrilled... To see a story by Helena Blavatsky, the creator of this theosophical society, and who is a world famous spiritualist. There is also in this book my second favorite story. (laughs) My favorite is the one by Miss Madame Blavatsky. So there's also The Leather Funnel by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock Holmes fame, which, despite being fiction, does actually spoiler alert. Follow the true account of Marie-Madeleine Marguerite Dobre, who was charged with murder and witchcraft in 1676. And this actually set off a number of witch trials in France. I was wrong. Not only did I have a lot of fun, but <laughs> I learned a lot about Victorian spiritualism and have done a lot of research since because of reading this book. I'm not going to lie. This whole podcast episode and this this... This theme here, (laughs) our seance theme was really inspired because of how much I really loved this book. I even read it out loud to a couple of ferrets I'm babysitting and they really loved it. (laughs) So I highly recommend the wiser book of occult detectives. I might even get my mom one for Christmas. I loved the historical facts and all the tidbits about each story, almost as much as I loved the stories themselves. To have a little bit of fun, Because it's Halloween! And because last year I read you guys my favorite spooky story, The Green Ribbon, this year I decided to read a small excerpt from The Wiser Book of Occult Detectives. So on this very spooky Halloween night, I'm going to read you the first half of The Dead Hand, being the first of the experiences of The Oracle of Maddox Street, by L.T. Mead and Robert Eustace. This story features an occult detective named Diana Marburg. My name is Diana Marburg. I am a palmist by profession. Occult phenomena, spiritualism, clairvoyance, and many other strange mysteries of the unseen world have, from my earliest years, excited my keen interest. Being blessed with abundant means, I attended in my youth many foreign schools of thought. I was a pupil of Lewis, Darling, Braid, and others. I studied Reichmanach and Mesmer, and finally started my career... "'as a thought-reader and palmist in Maddox Street. "'Now I live with a brother five years my senior. "'My brother Rupert is an athletic Englishman "'and also a barrister, with a rapidly growing practice. "'He loves and pities me. "'He casts over me the respectability of his presence "'and wonders at what he calls my lapses from sanity. "'He is patient, however, "'and when he saw that in spite of all expostulation "'I meant to go my own way, "'he ceased to try to persuade me against my inclinations.' Gradually the success of my reading of the lines of the human hand brought me fame, my prophecies turned out correct, my intuition led me to right conclusions, and I was sought after, very largely, by that fashionable world which always follows anything new. I became a favorite in society, and was accounted both curious and bizarre. On a certain evening in late July, I attended Lady Fortescue's reception in Curzon Street. I was ushered into a small anteroom which was furnished with the view of adding to the weird effect of my own appearance and words. I wore an oriental costume, rich in color and bespangled with sparkling gems. On my head I had twisted a Spanish scarf, my arms were bare to the elbows, and my dress open at the throat. Being tall, dark, and I believe graceful, my quaint dress suited me well. Lady Fortescue saw me for a moment on my arrival and inquired if I had everything I was likely to want. "'As she stood by the door, she turned. "'I expect, Miss Marburg, "'that you will have a few strange clients tonight. "'my guests from a varied and ever-widening circle, "'and tonight all sorts and conditions of men "'will be present at my reception.' "'She left me, and soon afterwards "'those who wished to inquire of fate "'appeared before me one by one. "'Towards the close of the evening "'a tall, dark man was ushered into my presence. "'The room was shadowy, "'and I do not think he could see me at once.' although I observed him quite distinctly. To the ordinary observer he doubtless appeared as a well-set-up man of the world, but to me he wore quite a different appearance. I read fear in his eyes, an irresolution, and at the same time cruelty round his lips. He glanced at me as if he meant to defy any message I might have for him, and yet at the same time was obliged to yield to an overpowering curiosity. I asked him his name, which he gave me at once. "'Philip Harmon,' he said." "'Have you ever heard of me before?' "'Never,' I answered. "'I've come here because you are the fashion, Miss Marburg, "'and because many of Lady Fortescue's guests "'are flocking to this room to learn something of their future. "'Of course, you cannot expect me to believe in your strange art. "'Nevertheless, I shall be glad if you will look at my hand "'and tell me what you see there.' "'As he spoke, he held out his hand. "'I noticed that it trembled. "'Before touching it, I looked full at him.' If you have no faith in me why do you trouble to come here i asked curiosity brings me to you he answered will you grant my request or not i will look at your hand first if i may i took it in mine it was a long thin hand with a certain hardness about it i turned the palm upward and examined it through a powerful lens as i did so i felt my heart beat wildly and something of the fear in philip Harmon's eyes was communicated to me I dropped the hand, shuddering inwardly as I did so. Well, he asked in astonishment. What is the matter? What is my fate? Tell me at once, why do you hesitate? I would rather not tell you, Mr Harmon. You don't believe in me. Go away and forget all about me. You cannot do that now. Your look says that you have seen something which you are afraid to speak about. Is that so? I nodded my head. I placed my hand on the little round table, which contained a shaded lamp to steady myself. "'Come,' he said rudely. "'Out with this horror, I am quite prepared.' "'I have no good news for you,' I answered. "'I saw something very terrible in your hand.' "'Speak.' "'You are a ruined man,' I said, "'taking his hand again in mine and examining it carefully. "'Yes, the marks are unmistakable. "'You will perpetrate a crime which will be discovered. "'You are about to commit a murder "'and will suffer a shameful death on the scaffold.' He snatched his hand away with a violent movement and started back. His whole face was quivering with passion. "'How dare you say such infamous things?' he cried. "'You go very far in your efforts to amuse Miss Marburg.' "'You asked me to tell you,' was my reply. He gave a harsh laugh, bowed low, and went out of the room. I noticed his face as he did so. It was white as death. I rang my little handbell to summon the next guest, a very tall and very beautiful woman between forty and fifty years of age entered, her dress was ablaze with diamonds, and she wore a diamond star of peculiar brilliancy just above her forehead. Her hair white as snow, and the glistening diamond star in the midst of the white hair gave to her whole appearance a curious effect. My name is Mrs. Kenyon, she said. You have just interviewed my nephew, Philip Harmon. But what is the matter, my dear, she said suddenly. You look ill. I have had a shock, was my vague reply. Then I pulled myself together what can i do for you i asked i want you to tell me my future will you show me your hand mrs kenyon held it out i took it in mine the moment i glanced at it a feeling of relief passed over me it was full of good qualities the mount of jupiter well developed the heart line clear and unchained a deep long lifeline and a fate line ascending clear up on the mount of saturn I began to speak easily and rapidly and with that fluency which often made me feel that my words were prompted by an unseen presence what you tell me sounds very pleasant said mrs canyon and i only hope my character is as good as you paint it i fear it is not so however your words are too flattering and you think too well of me but you have not yet touched upon the most important point of all the future what's in store for me i looked again very earnestly at the hand "'My heart sank a trifle as I did so. "'I'm sorry,' I said. "'I have to tell you the bad news. "'I did not notice this at first, but I see it plainly now. "'You are about to undergo a severe shock, a "'very great grief.' "'Strange,' answered Mrs. Kenyon. "'She paused for a moment. "'Then she said suddenly, "'You gave my nephew a bad report, did you not?' "'I was silent. "'It was one of my invariable rules, "'never to speak of one client to another.' "'You need not speak,' she continued. "'I saw it in his face. "'I hope he will take the warning.' "'I could not help murmuring faintly. "'Mrs. Kenyon overheard the words. "'And now you tell me that I am to undergo severe trouble. "'Will it come soon?' "'Yes,' was my answer. "'You will need all your strength to withstand it.' "'And then, as if prompted by some strange impulse, I added, "'I cannot tell you what that trouble may be, but I like you. "'If in that time of your trouble I can help you, I will gladly do so.' "'Thank you,' answered Mrs. Kenyon.' You are kind. I do not profess to believe in you that you should be able to foretell the future is of course impossible, but I also like you. I hope some day we may meet again. She held out her hand, I clasped it. A moment later she had paused outside the thick curtain which shut away the ante room from the gay throng in the drawing rooms. I went home late that night. Rupert was in and waiting for me. "'Why, what's the matter, Diana?' he said the moment I appeared. "'You look shockingly ill. "'This terrible life will kill you.' "'I have seen strange things to-night,' was my answer. "'I flung myself on the sofa, and for just a moment covered my tired eyes with my hand. "'Have some supper,' said Rupert gently. "'He led me to the table, and helped me to wine and food. "'I have had a tiring and exciting evening at Lady Fortescue's, so I said. "'I shall be better when I have eaten.' "'But where have you been this evening?' "'At the Apollo. "'There was plenty of gossip circulating there, 2 society scandals, and Philip Harmon's crash. "'That is a big affair, and likely to keep things pretty lively. "'But, my dear Di, what is the matter?' "'I had half risen from my seat. "'I was gazing at my brother with fear in my eyes. "'My heart once again beat wildly. "'Did you say Philip Harmon?' I asked. "'Yes. Why? Do you know him?' "'Tell me about him at once, Rupert. I must know.' "'What do you mean by his crash?' "'Oh, he is in one of the plungers, you know. "'He has run through the Harmon property "'and cannot touch the Kenyon.' "'The Kenyon!' I exclaimed. "'Yes, his uncle. "'Walter Kenyon was a very rich man "'and has left all his estates to his young grandson, "'a lad of about thirteen. "'That boy stands between Harmon "'and a quarter of a million dollars. "'But why do you want to know?' "'Only that I saw Philip Harmon tonight,' "'was my answer.' "'You did? That is curious. "'He asked you to prophesy with regard to his fate?' "'He did, Rupert.' "'And you told him?' "'What I cannot tell you. "'You know I never divulge what I see in my client's hands. "'Of course you cannot tell me, "'but it's easy to guess that you gave him bad news. They say he wants to marry the heiress "'and beauty of the season, Lady Maud Greville. "'If he succeeds in this, he will be on his feet once more, "'but I doubt if she will have anything to say to him. "'He is an attractive man in some ways, and good-looking, "'but the Countess of Chesley keeps a sharp lookout "'on the future of her only daughter.' Philip Harmon must on no account marry an innocent girl, was my next impulsive remark. Rupert, your news troubles me very much. It confirms I could not finish the sentence. I was overcome by what Rupert chose to consider intense nervousness. You must have your quinine and go to bed, he said. Come, I insist, I won't listen to another word. A moment later I had left him, but try hard as I would. I could not sleep that night. I felt that I myself was on the brink of a great catastrophe, that I personally was mixed up in this affair. In all my experience, I had never seen a hand like Philip Harmon's before. There was no redeeming trait in it. The lines which denoted crime and disaster were too indelibly marked to be soon forgotten. When at last I did drop asleep, that hand accompanied me into the world of dreams. Ooh, spooky! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that is the first half of The Dead Hand. If you want to read the rest, you are just going to have to get yourself a copy of the Wiser Book of Occult Detectives, and I highly recommend you do. Well, that is all I have for you tonight, my lovely Halloween witches. Uh, hopefully by now you've got some trick-or-treaters knocking on your door, or you're getting ready to put on your favorite slutty costume and go out drinking. Either way, sounds awesome. Have a fantastic Halloween. If you see any ghosts, tell them I say hi, and I hope you feel a little bit of magic come over you in this time when the veil between the worlds is thin. Thank you so much for tuning in to this newest episode of the Fat Feminist Witch podcast. I hope you loved it. If you want to tell me what you thought about it, whether you loved it or not, you can email me at fatfeministwitch at gmail.com or contact me through my website, thefatfeministwitch.wordpress.com. You can also find me on social media, of course, all across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and even Tumblr. Search for The Fat Feminist Witch, and there I will be. If you like the music that plays at the beginning and end of every single episode of The Fat Feminist Witch, it is Back to the 90s by Douglas Mulvey, featuring a sample of I Put a Spell in You, undeniably the greatest witchy song of all time. I put a link to this song in every single description for podcast episodes so that you can download a copy of yourself for free. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you all have a wonderfully magical and mysterious next week coming up, and I look forward to you tuning in to the Fat Feminist Witch again.